Welcome to the Shelfformers Podcast, the show about toys, why we like them, our connections to the figures, and their relevance to bigger topics. I'm your co-host, Darby, and tonight we're going to talk about the Ahsoka season finale. And I'm your co-host, Sugu. Join us tonight as we finally put an end to Darby's professorship. <laughs> so I feel like you <laughs> Before we begin, by way of introduction, I'm Darby Harn, a freelance writer and editor and an independent author. Publishers Weekly called my novel Ever the Hero an entertaining debut, which uses superpowers as a metaphor to delve into class politics in an alternate America. You can find more information about me and my books at DarbyHarn.com. I'm also on Twitter at DarbyHarn. And I'm Sugu, your co-host. I work in IT and education, and I'm also passionate about writing and story. You can find some of my travel writings on allaboutjapan.com, where I've written various articles about my life and perspectives in Japan. Tonight, we can finally retire Professor Darby from answering all my questions because we're going to talk about episodes seven and eight of Star Wars Ahsoka. And surprise, surprise, we have Shaddy back on. So when last... When last we talked to him, he was here talking about episode six, and now we're he's back to talk about episode seven and eight. So it's another reunion. Shadi, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, thanks. I really revved up to talk about episode seven and eight. All right. So fair warning, I have no idea what any of us are going to say about Star Wars Ahsoka episode seven and eight. We did not do our normal uh prep kind of talk about the points that we want to cover so this is going to be all new for me uh and also darby is here too darb how's it going i am here <laughs> um that's about all i can say uh, i'm really looking forward to um talking to you guys i'm really curious to know like really curious to know what you guys think uh, given our previous conversations, I want to thank everybody for listening along. We seem to have uh, people seem to dig our conversations about Ahsoka. So thank you guys for listening and supporting the channel. And I want to mention real quick before we dive in, we're going to nitpick and we're going to um, uh, break down and you know gripe probably about some things in the show. I just want to say how appreciative I am of the show and everything that those guys are doing or making on a weekly or monthly basis. And that, uh, and also to RIP uh, Shauna Turpich, uh, the costume designer for Ahsoka, who passed away yesterday unexpectedly, who's an absolute uh, marvel in her costume design and, and realization of when you think of things in this show, like the Night Troopers, um, you know, and just everything that she's doing, she's also the costume designer for The Mandalorian, The Book of Boba Fett, I think possibly also Skeleton Crew, which my understanding is will premiere in January. Um, I don't know that for sure, but she, like everybody involved in the show, is just an absolute uh, true talent. 
So I know there's a lot of shock and sadness yesterday amongst the uh, people, the cast and crew of the show. And uh, so uh, very sorry to hear that. And also one more time, uh, Ray Stevenson, uh, absolute loss. Uh, Just one of those things where he was the perfect guy for the perfect part and we've all been cheated. And you really felt that at the end of this episode, episode eight, at the end of the series, because uh, his story wasn't over. So we'll probably talk at the end about where we think that's going, but I just wanted to say that. Yeah. Yeah, and last time we uh, we did talk about the Night Troopers and their Kintsugi styling, the costumes of Ahsoka, and you said Mandalore as well? The Mandalorian. Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett, which Book of Boba Fett uh, is a show I did not like in general, featured some absolutely terrific costumes. Yeah. Uh, and everything that she did. And she brought a really new dimension to Boba's costume uh, that was obviously brought forward the armor from the movies, but added this new sort of different texture to it that mm-hmm. was uh, like she, with everything else she did, was just really, uh, it felt very real. And yeah. that, that contributed to making the sh- the shows, all of the shows, very lived in. And this one, and Ahsoka in particular, uh, more than the other two, I think, for myself. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, for for me, I think, thinking back on it now, the, the costumes of Ahsoka Andor, did she work on Andor? She did not. Okay. So the costuming of the Mandalorian and uh, Ahsoka really did kind of settle the world in. It didn't feel so plastic. It didn't feel so... Yeah, um, I. one thing that the Star Wars always had people will argue for against it is its use of the blue screens or green screens for now volume. And um, that's a background element which can take you out of depending on how it's used or how well it's used can take you out of the moment if those costumes aren't grounding you if the props aren't grounding you Mm -hmm. if your foreground is not grounding you you're in real trouble and we all know when that happens oh yeah and 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 her costumes have um just a remarkable lived in quality to them and uh verisimilitude and 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 taking costumes that on Ahsoka began largely in animation with Sabine and Hera and etc um, and making Sabine's costume very real and very lived in and also mm-hmm. fit in with the other Mandalorian armors which Sabine because of uh, Sabine is very petite in her figure um, in her but her armor um, rather than the armor being bulky or oversized or ill-fitting or whatever, it, it's, it, it just works and it functions. And I believe it's the only armor, I could be very wrong about this, I believe it's the only armor which has functioning working lights which are embedded in it. Yeah, um, I noticed that in the past, in this last episode. Sabine's costume's outstanding. You saw the versatility in her costume because she often wore it without the armor plates on, you know, things like that. And that her tunic or what would you call it, the jumpsuit underneath, uh, was evocative of Luke's uh, costume in Empire Strikes Back, his sort of cargo fatigues that he wore uh, for the balance of that uh, movie. She's just fantastic. And, the co- every, you know, 
so it's a real loss and it, it, everything that's gone into the show even though i'm I, I feel like i sense in the force that we're probably going to have issues with some of this that happened at, at the end everything in the show is just a real treat and i i just really appreciate that okay so uh to kick us off shaddy what did you think about episode seven and eight uh yeah i'll just piggyback on to what darby and you both said i thought the fan- the costumes were fantastic and that is a real loss um i wasn't aware of that news uh i'll start off by saying like one thing i i felt really silly listening to the previous episodes i want to apologize to everyone who listened i said dathomir like a kajillion times in the previous episode it's peridia they're on peridia uh so i wanted to point out like i realized <laughs> that as soon as i started listening to the episodes so they're on peridia although not anymore spoiler alert um or some of them are and some of them aren't uh yeah i thought i th- i found after the excitement of episode six i found episode seven to be a pretty a downer um it was just seemed like a placeholder episode you know like i could understand the argument that the point of episode seven was to to sort of set up episode eight right um to get the fight the pieces sort of moved in into the correct order like get everything set up for the, you know, it's the, the, the penultimate episode, right? To get everything for the season finale. It, it just was sort of landed flat for me. It felt like uh, I started off on the wrong foot. I didn't really care to be back on Coruscant. Uh, I think that, were they on Coruscant? Yeah, on Coruscant. I didn't uh, care to listen to uh, Senator Ziono. I didn't ca- I really did not. I just... It felt so lazy to send C-3PO into the room to be to like... To be the voice for Leia. Yeah. Just, and, I, you know, I, I just preferred say, that, too. Go ahead. No, please. Go ahead. I was going to just say real quick, um, can we just recast Leia? Can we just stop with this nonsense? And it's great to see Anthony Daniels, as always, but the reason he's there is because they won't recast Carrie, and they didn't have the money to do the uh, CGI thing again, which none of us want to see. So can we just recap? Can we just have Billy Lord come on? If we're going to have Leia for a scene or two, a cameo, just have Billy do it and we'll all be happy and we'll, we'll all just be satisfied. Sorry. See, for myself, not not to derail the whole thing, but because for me, when that moment happened, it pulled me way out of the show. Uh, actually, two things happened at that moment that pulled me out of the show, but one was Leia and... I, so when she passed in real life, I had heard that the movies were going to do the proper send off for her so that, you know, it would make sense. It'd be respectful and all that. And the only thing I saw in the movies was her flying in space. And that wasn't really a send off for me. That wasn't really respectful or anything. And now to have her pop up as cameos like indirect cameos i don't know to me it feels kind of gross and i really did not like that to be honest i yeah i don't want to derail this either and so we won't talk about the sequels but i'll just say real quick it is inevitable and necessary that leia reappears again at some point in the franchise that han and luke do i personally don't like the cgi faces just recast them. These are characters that are going to live forever. Mm-hmm. They will be played by other people. Let's not get too caught up in 
But just because you can do a thing doesn't mean you should. We have Billy. They did film stuff with Billy for Rise of Skywalker that they ultimately put Leia Carrie's face over. Didn't they do they the do, same thing with her with uh, Rogue One? They did. That wasn't Billy. That was someone else. But but Billy looks enough like Carrie that we can just do it. And she's an actress. And if it's just going to be Cameo City for a little bit, let's do it. If you want to recast to someone for the long haul who's going to be a mate, you know, Maybe you think about someone, a lot of people talk about Millie Bobby Brown and people who look like Carrie who can act. Millie Bobby Brown would be fantastic. She would um, actually, yeah. I don't know who that is. She's like Stranger Things. Um, from Stranger Things. I don't um, know what that is. <laughs> um, okay, well, we'll save that for another episode. Um, but that that's where I'm at. And that, that because one thing that this show is leading to is a major confrontation in the galaxy with Thrawn and the resurrected empire that will have to involve Han, Luke and Leia. And the, the idea that you're going to do that with, with more of these CGI rubber masks to me personally is abhorrent. I think it's disrespectful to Carrie, frankly, to do that. I know she would not have cared, but that, that aside, I just just have Billy come in if you're going to do a cameo if you need her to come on screen or if you need something serious and, and more long term let's cast Millie Bobby Brown or someone who's going to be able to carry that load for a long time I mean this goes to me this is the uh, the big conversation that's happening right now is the uh, the Screen Actors Guild strike one of the reasons they're striking is do studios have the right to their likeness in perpetuity so they can CGI plastic faces on top of any actor to keep the likeness. It's very important. It's a very contentious issue, which we seem to have progress now on that. So knock on wood, uh, the writer's strike is, is wrapped up and resolved to extreme satisfaction. Um, the actors met all week and there appears to be some headway there. Um, it's important to note that the situation with Carrie is separate from that because that is her likeness is used by permission from the estate. Mm -hmm. And Lucasfilm does not own that and cannot use that without Billy's permission. Without Carrie's permission. Billy, Billy Lord, her daughter, is the head of the estate and, and it's only with her consent that Carrie can appear in the movies again. Billy... Wait, Billy Lord is Carrie Fisher's daughter. Yes. Okay, didn't know that. Fair enough. Uh, okay, so getting back to it. Uh, sorry, Shady, I think we interrupted you and derailed. No, that's all right. It was an interesting. I mean, I, I, I think you're you're on to an interesting conversation. I did hear a couple of people uh, talking this week on a different podcast. Um, you know about where the CAGI is going. Like they they both those people had like similar opinions to you. They, they were of the mind that the, they were talking about Luke in particular, like that started with the discussion started with Leia and then like went on to Luke, right? Like in both of those positions in their minds needs to be recast rather than keeping using CGI. They also speculated that Disney's kind of kicking the can down the road with the idea that like up until now, the CGI has been done by graphics artists I think the the next stage for that kind of CGI is to let AI do it, and that's supposed to be would, even better, right? Like it's supposed to be which much they're already doing, quality. right? So, 
and I and I think you guys have seen probably YouTube like they when AI started to get, become a thing like people went back and like used AI to to make the CGI animated Luke even better right and it did look much better actually it looked much more realistic I don't know where that's going uh, so I'm not going to try to to have a discussion about that but uh, back to episode seven um, yeah I I mean I think like that whole beginning like the, the the trial of uh, uh, Harrison Dula, I should say. I was trying to be dramatic about it. Uh, it was just sort of pointless to me. I don't know. I didn't really need to see it. It was. It felt like a waste of time. I thought. I felt like we have two episodes left of this series, and this is what we want to spend ten minutes on. Uh, like it was a big kind of falling flat on the face. You could have done a hand wavy thing, like not to to jump around, but at the beginning of episode eight when a character I care very much about and want to know what's happened with him, uh, Ezra, hand waves me and says, uh, you know, uh, yeah, well, uh, uh, Thrawn found the witches and resurrected them and, like, built up his force. And, like, I've, I've been sort of on the run for, like, the past 10 years. And, like, the, and, and that's it. That's where I'm at right now. It's been sitting here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that. One sentence of dialogue was, oh, now I don't care about what happened in the past 10 years. I guess it just makes sense. Like, it just makes sense whether I needed to, but, but in the previous episode, I needed to spend 10 minutes listening to some stupid, like, uh, I don't know, like, I, if I want to watch believe... politics, I can watch it, you know, like, this is the same bullshit with episode one, right? More of this, like, trade federation bullshit nonsense. I don't need to see it. This is not the show I, I wanted to see. So that's a strange thing to me. I don't know. It, it felt like the wrong way to start off episode seven. Um, I'll, I'll say for me i liked the court like i liked what it was doing because it established that one counselor as being really obstinately against the idea of thrawn coming back right we saw that uh in even the harry potter world where the ministry of uh Mag magic was absolutely opposed to the idea that voldemort was back and like rejected yeah. all that so i thought that was a really interesting thing to bring up was that council member actually adamant against it or did he have nefarious purpose like is he actually well, an imperial plan not sure well, but then the uh, ultimate payoff hmm. for that courtroom scene was oh leia came back she said that it's all good never mind go about your business and so for me that's where it fell flat is when leia came and just solved the entire problem and that what you just said sugu is inherent i think in some I, i'll just say big picture i really enjoyed the series seven and eight showed some signs of thing dave is really dave filoni wrote all eight episodes dave is really great at some things uh he there but there in just simple um dramatizing certain things there were numerous areas in seven and eight where i felt like we missed the boat um, the courtroom scene is one of them. That could have been a very dramatic scene. Mm -hmm. um, it could have been an opportunity to uh, leverage Leia in a way that um, is interesting. It could have also been a way to align her with Hera in ways that are also go beyond that because they, they're both mothers of very young sons at the same time. Ben Solo is about this three or four or five maybe at this stage. Uh, it could have been an opportunity to get really interesting in that and also could have shown 
um, Leia beating her head against a wall that ultimately leads to her decision in The Force Awakens, which is simply to walk away from the New Republic and form her own sort of resistance cell. Senator Ziono is a, um, I don't know if it's fair to call him a plant. He is, uh, is part of the larger tapestry. He is someone who is a facilitator, conveniently not on his home planet of Hosium Prime when the, new, when the First Order destroys it uh, in The Force Awakens. He appears to be a collaborator with the, the future First Order. Suspicious. Right? That adds so much depth to his character right out the gate. That yeah, could have been leveraged. You, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that the Dave is not leveraging anything. He just assumes you know everything. That's interesting on one hand, coming into the show with so much lore behind it. But explaining the interim, what happened between Ahsoka and Sabine? What's Ezra and Thrawn been up to in the interim on the 10 years? And he's Ezra's like, no, nah, I've been hanging out with the turtles, bro. I'm cool. No, no character arc development. I'm the same person I was, a little bit stronger in the Force. I think a little bit more wiser and mature. Uh, Amon is Fondy, by the way. It's fucking fantastic as Ezra. Perfect casting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the character is static. Mm-hmm. Literally did not change from the end of Rebels until the end of this show. And he's gone home. Spoilers. He's gone home the same person he was. Um, that, to me, is utterly mystifying. Thrawn also appears to have been largely static, although longtime fans of Thrawn will notice that this Thrawn, especially at the end of Episode Eight, is far more agitated than we've ever seen him. Like, this is a guy who's very cool, calm, and collected, and he's very desperate to get the fuck out of there at the end of Eight, and he's very, very desperate to get as far away from Ahsoka Tano as he can. I want to talk but, about Thrawn a little bit. I, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah let's, I, well, I, I put notes. I have... I have okay. a, a, an, an Apple Notes, things I wanted to talk about. I put Sabine with a bullet at the top, but I do have Thrawn. Yeah. Is this the most it's... boring Thrawn we've ever had, though? I mean, you know, Thrawn, to me, like suffers from, like in this series, suffers from... I don't want to use this analogy, so I'm just going to throw it in the trash. There are some characters that... It's a poor thing about writing, right, where... When a character comes on screen and the writer or the director, whoever, the creator of this, this show or the movie, wants you to think something away about a character. They want you to think that this character is super attractive. So they say, everybody loves this character. Aren't they so attractive? Aren't they so handsome? Or everybody likes this, this character is super smart. Yeah, they're the smartest person I've ever seen. Rather than just letting that character be the thing that they are, right? They need all the surrounding characters to tell us what they are. Well, this is that's how you feel about tell, that's how I felt a... about Thrawn watching it. Right? Like everyone's, I kept waiting for Thrawn to to do something that showed that he's this brilliant mastermind. I know that he is. Yeah. He failed consistently. Like they it. just kept saying, like, uh, by the way, they're like actually they've entered the temple. You know, they've entered or they've whatever they call it, the crypt. I can't remember what they called it. Um, the castle. I can't remember what they called it, but they've entered it. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Uh, we're already on to the next part of our plan. Uh, don't worry, that was within my calculations. It's like, I don't know, man. You just keep saying that, but it's not. It's just a series of failures. You're basically just trying to run away, and you didn't even make a clean break, right? Like, at the end of the day, Ezra gets yeah, by on. Far, by far so, the biggest uh, criticism I've heard from other people is that there's um, a lot of talking about shit in the show, about how badass Thrawn is, and we never actually see it. And Sugu and I have been talking for the entire duration about sort of show, don't tell. This is a very tell, don't show series that 
on some level works because of some of the mythic dimension it's working in it really for me personally really falls down in seven and eight we simply have to stop talking about shit and then you start like episode eight finally gives you things like this is what happened with sabine and ahsoka that's an episode one conversation and then it doesn't and that conversation takes place between ezra and hu yang and not sabine and, and ahsoka question mark um you think you know and we're always talking about thrawn and we see thrawn's desperation and we see him trying to outmaneuver ahsoka um i i was i was stunned at the choices in episode eight because I did not expect Ahsoka to get anywhere near the Star Destroyer because I just figured Thrawn would be in orbit. Why is he fucking with this chick at all? Right? Like, there's just no way, in, you know, and her frustration is going to be because Thrawn in Episode 7 is maneuvering her to go chase Balin and Shen. And Balin's w- walking off into the wilderness. And I'm just thinking that's going to lead us to whatever Balin is looking for. And that's going to be the resolution for Episode 8. Is that things are so much worse than Ahsoka maybe realized, and Thrawn does get away, and that's bad. But Ahsoka, then I knew that Ahsoka and Sabine were going to get stranded. I fucking knew it. But I figured that it was going to the resolution was going to be Balin and Shin. That obviously didn't happen. We'll talk about that. But I, it was very. The show is very entertaining. Part uh, you know, don't get me wrong, but I was mystified by some of the choices. I think there's a reason. I have a theory anyway about some of the choices with Balin, but I don't know. Sugu, what do you think? Yeah, sorry, Sugu, why don't you say what were your impressions? <laughs> uh, I know Thrawn from the Timothy Zahn books. That's it. I don't know him from Star Wars Rebels or uh, the comics or any other property. I know him from the Zahn books. And in the Zahn books, that's Heir to the Empire, Dark Force Rising, and what's the third one? Uh, the last command. Okay, there you go. So in those books, Thrawn is this amazing master strategist who, like his opening scene in Heir to the Empire, he had some, some grunt question him on his orders about sending his, uh, sending a squadron into certain death. And the grunt was like, why are we doing this? And like Thrawn decisively kicked him out, demerited him, or maybe even executed. I forget what, but basically got rid of him, said, do not question me. And then after the whole battle kind of explained that he had to sacrifice that squadron because that exposed the entire, uh, not rebels anymore, but the Republic fleet so that he could take them all out. Mm. Which he did. So ultimately it was a win. So Thrawn, as I've known him, has always only ever been a master strategist. Like he knows every single piece of any battle that's coming up. Mm. It's just... So this character that we saw in Ahsoka, I was waiting for that. Well, I think like you hit on it. Sorry, I don't want to cut you off, Darby, but like, Throughout episode seven and eight, Thrawn sacrifices a lot of his, uh, what are they called? Night troopers? I'm, I can't remember mm-hmm. the, the, the yeah. term for them. He sacrifices yeah, a lot of them. To become Merrick part two. Right. But, you know, like, as you brought up, like, in the original Thrawn a trilogy of books, whenever he would sacrifice 
something, there would be a payoff to it, right? Like right. he would, you would see his brilliance, or any any strategic uh, strategist's brilliance comes from there eventually being a payoff for the sacrifices that you make, right? And that made him a super interesting villain in the books because you were always at the edge of your seat. Because how do you, how do you take out someone who can anticipate literally all of your moves? Right, and is also willing to to make sacrifices. Right. Uh, to, 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 there to is no their, bar their, that their he won't cross to get to ensure his own victory. Right, and and there's just for me that you know, like there was a lot of like as Darby pointed out, like there was a lot of telling. Oh, he's he's this brilliant mastermind. He's a strategist. I just always seemed like I like you know trying to do that by like showing like oh, I don't really care. It's a, it's a, it, within our calculations that we just lost two ships or that we lost these fighters that we sent out or we've got her where exactly where we want her. We're limiting her choices that she can do. Not really. Like there was there was never any like just give him a couple of wins. It just yeah. to, to to make it seem like it, like it, like that Ahsoka was going to lose at some point, right? I never had a feeling that Ahsoka wasn't going to get to where she needed to get. Yeah, to me, right? he seemed much a... more like a pragmatic and adaptable strategist as opposed to a master strategist. The problem is there are numerous problems in this whole thread. <laughs> one, one is is that Dave chose not to advance Thrawn or Ezra's character arcs in the in the intervening years between Rebels and uh, Ahsoka. He chose it. He he choose he he does show a Thrawn who is willing to sacrifice and make chess moves. We see that in Morgan, and his choice to leave behind Morgan, which I thought was effective. And can I just say really quickly, Diana Lee and Asanto, holy shit, holy shit! Like I've been waiting for her to break out the moves the mm-hmm. whole show, and and oh my god, um, that for folks who don't know, Diana Lee and Asanto, Bruce Lee's goddaughter famous uh stunt woman in hollywood she and she's just that fight with her and ahsoka was like crouching tiger level holy shit so we see parts of it but the problem is is that he's constantly like when he realizes that ahsoka is anakin's apprentice he's like oh fuck and he's because he's terrified because anakin was unpredictable consequently ahsoka is do we ever see ahsoka being unpredictable isn't ahsoka's only play on Peridia to get to the tower. Isn't that exactly what she does? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, she's going to be very hard to stop. Sure. And you put everything in front of her. You put TIE fighters. You put zombie troopers, which also very cool. You know she's going to get through that. So isn't so his one of his last moves is to destroy the tower. Isn't that the first thing I'm doing if I'm Thrawn? The minute I get that last coffin on board, mm-hmm. I'd be like, hey, guys, witches, your tower's cool and everything, but... I'm going to smoke it, you know, just by the way, because she, you know, stairs, you know, Ahsoka Tano, she can use them. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it seemed like what, like, it almost seemed like a bad villain where he was like, no, I mean, we're clearly about 100 meters away from, like, that. that's, the, the, they're, they're Jedi. They, they cannot jump. I know they, they just can't jump that far. There's no possible way that we're, like, very, like, the amount of time it took for them to, to leave the tower and to, like, get some elevation from the tower. And then later on, when they're in the lower atmosphere and suddenly they're in space getting ready to jump to hypers, hyperspace. Like, that felt like – wait, a, like, that was incongruous to me. Like, how did they get that far up it, into space that they're already, already ready to jump into hyperspace? Whereas before, it took them forever just to get 20 feet off the fucking ground. Like, that, that was just – 
it, that whole sequence showed some of the strain and sort of Dave's writing that I think f f sort of for me was frustrating because on one hand it, it was entertaining and aspects of it were very moving. Sabine's realization in the forest was the moment we've all been waiting for and was very effective, although it stepped on itself by doing it twice. Uh, we'll talk about that, I think, in a minute. I know, Shadi, you want to talk about Sabine. But those types of things, like, instead of making the drama harder and hard, he's not doing that. Morgan facing off against Ahsoka should have been the hardest thing that happens. When they get up to the, they've, they've walked through the, the zombie troopers, and they get up there, and Ahsoka's like, we're going to jump onto that Star Destroyer. This Thrawn guy, he should have left us. And they walk out there, and there's Morgan. And that should have been the hardest thing. Uh, it should have been extremely difficult for, get, for them to get on the ship. They would have needed to find another way. If Hu Yang was going to be there to be able to catch them when they jumped off the tower, that was their way. How, how frightening would it have been if Sabine and Ezra get on top of the Jedi shuttle, they're flying the Star Destroyer, and Sabine can get him across, and then she looks back. Then she looks back, and Ahsoka's stuck on the top of the tower. And then Sabine is like, I'm right here. We're right here. Right, if we if Ezra and Sabine get inside that hangar, it is game over for Thrawn, right? But she she it's like we're not escalating our stakes. We're just and I see that throughout the show, throughout the entire uh, you know the stakes are very clear. Thrawn bad comes back very bad. Um, we got to stop him, but they don't. They never escalate, and they never change. And nothing Ahsoka does in the show changes the material outcome if she and sabine had stayed home thrawn still gets home right and so ahsoka's arc personally is a, a character arc i think is very satisfying sabine's is very satisfying the plot very simple plot very effective plot nothing really you know they they did the reverse uno card they it's traded kind of weird. they, prayed, they traded places with ezra yeah i think you could have yeah they do like that was something I thought about. It was essentially they traded places with Ezra, um, mm. which is so, so pointless. Um, I, I feel like you could have just not had Thrawn in the series. Like you could have saved him uh, because the, the most interesting characters, I don't think I'm alone in saying this, were Shin Hati and Balin Skull. Oh my God. Yeah. They were, it was, frustrating to not see them in the last episode until the very end because they were clearly the two of the most like anytime they were on screen both of them at any point in time they were the most interesting characters on the screen constantly balen skull like the fact that i'm sorry we don't get to see him i'm sure he'll be recast um you know like ray stevenson rest in peace like i i wanted to see more of that character i wanted to, to i wanted to know more what he was doing I still don't really know. We still don't know what he's doing. Like, sorry, I know he saw the... the uh, he stood on top of the father, very Lord of the Ringsy, and uh, looked at Mordor. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> essentially what he was doing, right? Um, that was cool. I want to know more about that. You could have saved Thrawn. Like, because Thrawn was, ended up just being a, a distraction. Um, and Balin is so frustrating. Uh, so, I, yeah, I, I think, like, the whole thing about Thrawn, I think he was misused. Um, and ultimately, he didn't need to be in the series. And I felt like his sort of lack of necessity for the series meant that, like, maybe while Filoni was writing him, 
he kind of had written himself into a corner, right? Like I can't really use this character. I can't really give him stakes in what he's doing. I can't really let him kill people off. I can't really let him destroy things because, and I don't know, maybe this is something Disney's got to fucking work out. Like, sorry, I'm getting very, uh, my language, but like, this is the same problem that Marvel has, like writing every series, writing every movie to just try to set up something else. You know, Game of Thrones doesn't have this problem. How I was thinking it like I shouldn't have been comparing these two things, but I was comparing House of the Dragon with uh, Ahsoka, and I'm thinking about those finales in my my mind after I watched the the, the finale of Ahsoka. I know that there's something coming. I, I know that there's going to be a next season of House of the Dragon. It it wasn't that House of the Dragon kills off their characters constantly, or the Games of Thrones, for example, kills off their characters constantly. They, those are the stakes. That's that's not that's not it. They didn't need to tell me that there was going to be a second season by setting up all these questions that are unanswered. I cared about the characters. I wanted to see what was going to happen with the characters. That's why I'm excited for the second season, and that's the mark of good writing. And I do care about some of the characters in Ahsoka. There are a lot of characters I don't care about, and. All the questions that they're that you know, like maybe this is what what Marvel tries to do, and this is what Star Wars, unfortunately, under Disney, it seems like tries to do is ask you a bunch of questions and leave a bunch of un, un, unanswered threads. And well, aren't you interested to see the next series? Get ready for the next one, and there's going to be spinoffs also. It's just a really poor way to write and tell a story. I think um, yeah, that's, that's that's where I'm at. I'm curious to know what Sugu thinks about that because we we talked about this sort of the MCUification of Star Wars for a while, but I I I have a theory, and that's all it is. That maybe part of the issue with Balin in Episode Eight is that there is more to that story that they did film that, and they Dave has chosen to save that for either season two or the movie, given what happened with Ray. Because it, it is utterly mystifying to leave that thread dangling. If he wrote it that way and filmed that way, I would throw my laptop at the TV, man. Like because that is just that's just that that's bad writing, frankly, to leave that particular thread unresolved. It leaves the taste in your mouth as a, of like you didn't know what you were going to do. Dave clearly knows what he's going to do, but it's what it feels like. My theory is, is because Balin, Ray was so great and Balin is so integral to what's going to happen next that he had, because to leave, why would you ditch Balin and Shin at the last moment? And so that felt, that little tag at the end, that little coda felt like, that felt to me like some editing of some, like we're making some choices here because Balin's scene didn't feel like a final scene. It felt like the first scene of his in episode eight. Um, there, there's probably, there's probably, a, I'm going to guess this, is, it, 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 I could be wrong. Probably am. I hope not for Ray Stevenson's sake, but I'm guessing that there's probably nine or 10 minutes of Ray doing something that we're going to see, um, in the future in some form. Um, because Dave has been super quiet about the future of Balin and Ray. He has not said a word about mm-hmm. Balin. And, and I, I think that is as much to do that with he's holding some cards close to the vest as it does the fact that he has um he has he everybody loved ray everybody loves balin and you know he may recast him 
but it but he has this and you know and he wanted to save it for the next bit so um that's a guess if that's not the case then that was that was bad writing um it's it made for a very frustrating that the ending of episode eight and the ending of the series was completely discordant for me because i found the ending with ahsoka and sabine and the very the very ending of the show very very good and very very rewarding and almost triumphant in some ways and that was just completely completely discordant with what happened with balin and shin that was just like what what right like i mean oh my god that was super frustrating yeah, I mean, I think that Balin and, you know, I'm not going to try to write the show for someone else. I said that last time in the last episode, but Balin and Shin worked it better as the, the villains, quote unquote, or the, the antagonists of the series. Like, I think that the, the stakes were higher when they were on screen. Their master-apprentice relationship would have been a really, was a really interesting mirror to Sabine and Ahsoka. And also, in a weird way not in a weird but maybe in a fruitful way could have been like ezra and uh kanan as well right like there could have been a lot of discussions about those kinds of things happening yeah like it was just it just felt fumbled felt wasted um like put put a bad taste in my mouth as well um so i, I felt sad about that i was sad i was disappointed yeah um that's how i feel about about that so, so yeah I, I feel like thrawn was misused that's where i'm at with that we're kind of jumping around, so I apologize. I, I, I was the person what? sort of jumping in with Thrawn, but, but yeah. No, well, we're talking about Balin and, and Shin, and the the tease at the end with Balin, the the statues that he is the the, the Argonath basically, but that those are the for folks who may be curious. There's a lot of conversation about this that, that people didn't know what they were looking at. Uh, those are the Mortis gods uh, from Clone Wars, and they also appeared in in rebels mm-hmm. um suga and i were talking in one of our episodes where we were talking about anakin and i was like i sort of i'd said I, I i had this feeling that anakin's story as a character's character arc is far from over and that has to do with some deep lore that we didn't get into uh that has to do with the mortis gods and, and anakin's the destiny hinted at in clone wars uh with anakin vis-a-vis the mortis gods that appears to be unfolding here at the end of ahsoka we saw the Morai again at the very end. And so that's interesting. I don't know that, you know, that to me is sort of deep, deep, deep lore stuff that is it's interesting. I, I don't know. We've all said some version at some point on the podcast that we sort of, you know, some of us are more comfortable with more defined versions of the Force than others. You know, for some of us, the world between worlds is okay. For some of us, it isn't things like that the mortis gods to me are like that i'm okay with the world between worlds to me it makes sense it fits in with this the concept of the force that you would get to a point like that the mortis gods you're putting way too much dressing on the force and on you know personifications and things like that i personally don't care about it i'm not super into it i like that it to this point it's been just sort of a hint and sort of background stuff and things like like the morai and everything like that but the more concrete we're going to make it, um, I don't know how well that translates for me personally. But. Yeah, it'll be, I, it stood out to me that in that final scene, he's standing on the statue of the father 
right? And then the son to his right, uh, Sugu, I don't know if, how much you know. Like, the father represents the balance between the good side, or the, the dark side and the good side, right? Or the, the light side of the force. Yeah, and the, the, da- the, son the daughter represents, is the light. Yeah. yeah, the son represents the dark side. I noted that the daughter, there wasn't a statue of the daughter. Next well, there was, but oh, I didn't her, see her. Her head had basically fallen away, so oh, she, okay. she, she's there. Um, that another sort of symbolic reference to the fact that that spot has been vacant for a while appears to be occupied by Ahsoka, um, in the sense that she is sort of she inherited uh, the 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 force, the life force from the daughter. That appears to be the Morai, uh, the, why the Morai is always with her. Um, this it's interesting. It's to me, it's not super interesting. It's like it's not. It's not like it. It's not. I love all the Lord of the Rings references in it. I love. I love how seven and eight were basically just the two towers, and we had the wargs, and we had you know men, you know all this stuff. Um. I love Lord of the Rings. I, I love all the deep lore, um, you know, and some of that gets very arcane and some of it gets very esoteric. That's what Dave is trying to do in some aspects here with Star Wars and the Mortis gods and everything like that. I don't know. I, you know, to me, Star Wars and Lord of the Rings are very similar and they're also different. So, mm. you know, to, to each their own. But, um, Yeah, I don't know, Sugi. What do you, what do you, what are your thoughts on any of this stuff, or what, what do you kind of, what do you want to talk about? Yeah, in terms of, <laughs> what do you want to talk about? Oh, I have so many thoughts right now. So I'm going to start off with, um, I'm really glad. In the end, it wasn't planned. Uh, I'll say this to our audience: it wasn't planned, but I'm really glad that a, we were able to combine seven and eight into one episode for this podcast. B, Shaddy was able to join this podcast. And C, the first thing we talked about was the court, the courtroom scene. Because to me, that courtroom scene is very indicative of how I watched the entire Ahsoka season one. I was really interested in the beginning. I was with you. And then in the end, it just ended up with zero payoff. And everything was built for something in the future. So mm. I don't know anything about the Mortis gods. I don't know anything about the Moria, Moai? Moai. The, the what? Morai. Morai. I don't know anything about them. And when I saw Balin's skull with the Argonoth, first thing I thought was Lord of the Rings, because we already talked about Ahsoka the White. Uh, and then I also thought, like, because I didn't really have a, any idea, right? I just saw two giant statues. One of them looked a little bit like Balin's skull. So I just kind of assumed the other one was Shin. And I'm like, so that's what he did? He went off to the wilderness and he spent the time with his lightsaber and just carved out these two giant statues? Like, yeah. what a waste of time and what a waste of a character, like that was his destiny to travel across galaxies to go make a statue of himself. Like, come on, man. So I had like an internal kind of humorous laugh about that. Like, this is 
that was his big moment. Like, I'm going to make this statue. So then I found out on the online that this represents the father, the son, and the daughter. I'm like, okay, so the, now we're in this deep lore, which yet again, I have no idea about. It's inaccessible to me because I have no idea which Star Wars to pour through to understand what that's about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like season two or whatever next is all about identifying that Balin is trying to be the father. He's trying to set up Shin to be the daughter and Anakin is the son. And that's all of season two, but Ahsoka is actually going to be actually being the daughter and, and all this other stuff. But I feel like that, like what Shadi was saying, that should have been what season one was all about. Like they should have planted that seed early on in the, in the show. Um, One thing that I noticed while watching it is it has the same problem that Darb, you and I have talked about for every one of these streaming shows is that they put the crux of the show, the meat of the show, they put it at the very end when what they should have done is set all that stuff up in the beginning because streaming and cable TV are not the same. So they should have reordered that and then like let it play out that way. It's mystifying that Pete, that that this is a streaming trope, which has gotten out of control. It's bad writing. It's bad writing. Yeah. Um, And then the other thing that I was thinking of is uh, as much as I'm supposed to care that Thrawn is back in the galaxy, that we know of I don't care because the show is named Ahsoka so I care about Ahsoka being on not Dathomir apparently but Peridia and like that's where I'm that is what the show is telling me to care about so that's what I care about so Thrawn this big bad now back in the other galaxy great great let him go let him tear up that galaxy get let him have fun let Ezra can deal with it it's all fine because for the purpose of this show I don't care and it's just like again what are we doing with all this it's frustrating because I I feel like the show split the difference so we've been talking on the pod about how this show is moving into new territory figuratively and literally opening a new door for Star Wars I feel like Dave did that by leaving Sabine and Ahsoka there I also 100% understand that they are coming back to the Star Wars galaxy um, he brought Thrawn back to give us Heir to the Empire which will be the movie okay uh, I'm sure it'll be entertaining no but oh, it will damn. be <laughs> um <laughs> Um, I really it, think that should have been the movie. That should have been the sequel it, trilogy. Yeah. Oh, I think Dave thinks that too, which is why this is all happening. Um, I think it, it'll be entertaining. It'll be very well done. It'll be exciting. It, it'll be a little bit of classic Star Wars, the good guys versus the bad guys. It'll have a weird sort of zombie bent to it because we're going to have zombie troopers. And we're going to have zombie witches, evidently. Um, it's all, it, it'll be good. It'll be inter, It'll be entertaining. Um, it, it's like you said, it's not particularly engaging that part with Thrawn. It would have been if they got there 
and the dynamic with Thrawn and Ezra had shifted. What if they get there and Balin's like, I'm here, like I'm here for this power. Don't you hear this? So Ezra didn't hear this whatever's calling to Ben to Balin in the entire ten years. He's just sitting there hanging out with the turtles and he's like, This place is okay. I mean it's kinda of great, but like, you know, this place is cool. And Balin's like, you know, there's like something up, but that doesn't make any sense. And, you know, Thrawn, Ezra says, Thrawn woke up the witches. He woke them up. Okay. Yeah, like, that wow. Crazy. That was crazy. That was here. fucking crazy. And Ezra's like, and then, yeah, I just, I just been out here. I know I've been like, I can kind of see the tower over there. I'm just here. You know, I, nothing happened with Ezra. What if Ahsoka got there and Ezra and Thrawn are like, either they're working together because shit has gone Lord of the Flies what if they get there and he woke up the witches and, and Thrawn's like, I should not have fucking done that, dude. That was bad. Like, or they found some other power, like whatever Balin's walking out to, which, what is that? I mean, um, is, at its simplest, at its very simplest narrative, you could have had Ezra continuing for 10 years to try and take down Thrawn. So they have this active battle. We already know that Yoda was on Dagobah to hide from the... Order 66 and all the Jedi execution that happened. So what if Ezra has been doing that version of that, like hiding with the grasshopper turtles because for whatever reason they were able to elude Thrawn's detection. So he's always on the run, but also taking pot shots when he can and like annoying Thrawn. Like well, he you have this knows what for... Thrawn's been doing, right? Like you would have yep. to have had a lot of interactions with Thrawn to have known that he's resurrected the witches, right? right? And he maybe that's that the, why the Thrawn even asleep. resurrected the witches to begin with. Ezra was annoying him. He kept like taking pot shots, so he found this this way that he could kind of even the odds between Ezra Super Jedi. The only thing in my mind that I could think of was, you know, if I was being generous to the writing was that Ezra like his very like sort of because he was a very deeply serious person by the end of rebels like his character had become really scarred really deep he had been a person who was willing to sacrifice his life he went to the far galaxy with the purgle not thinking he was going to come home. Like he said to them, like, oh, you guys got to save me or like, you know, like I I want you to try to come find me. But he had resigned himself to sacrifice Mm -hmm. himself to save the galaxy from Thrawn. And that seriousness of character, that singular singularness of mind and and will, that's not the the Ezra that you get. And so hearing you describe that, uh, that, makes no sense with what i watched so that so then my mindset is watching that and i kept thinking this is like well clearly he seems like a character to me who's undergone some sort of trauma having been here for 10 years and he's disassociating right like he's this happy-go-lucky person um whatever you know like i'm kind of one with the force i believe the force is strong like it's i don't need a lightsaber except i do need i'm i was told i need a lightsaber at the beginning of episode eight so i'm gonna just build it randomly because i was told it but i didn't need it before um it sounds to me like a person it sounded to me like a person who had experienced a lot of trauma and was yeah i don't want to talk about it uh, i'm just happy to go home i'm re- I'm ready to go home let's go home uh, yeah that happened like I, he resurrected some witches but uh you know like uh, i just was a lot of shit that i couldn't deal with 
a it's little bit like good. Luke, a little bit like Luke in the sequel trilogy. But the problem was, is that really what, I mean, that's the only way that I could justify it. I would hope that at some point in the next season, you get some writing where Ezra says, well, you know what? I felt abandoned. I felt like I was never going home. And my only way to save myself was to crawl into this hole of like, just a like, I'm just going to disassociate from everything. I don't care. I just got to survive. I got to live. But we didn't I, get a sense of that from the, this. Like, there's no sense of that, that that actually happened. We just have to guess that that happened. Yeah, we didn't get any sense of that. I would have appreciated that, even the hint of that. Um, that would have gone a long way. I, I think it goes back to my point. Our last episode is I that Dave is bored with Ezra yeah. and he has no idea what to do with him. And he, he put him in a corner and now he's taking him out of the corner, but not, not, there's nothing changed. He could have done so much with Ezra. Like anything could have happened and literally nothing did. Ezra was on a planet where he, his ability in the force advanced, it seems in that time. He didn't encounter any other Force users. He didn't train little turtle dudes in the Force. What if Ahsoka and Sabine had got to Peridia and they found that uh, uh, Ezra had become the head of this sort of new sort of Jedi, Jedi order that he, had, that he had created there and he'd become, you know, this sort of leader of his own little, you know, he had his own little army or, or it could have, you could have done, and they're like, well, we're here to get you. And he's like, no, I'm good. Like it could have been anything. It was literally nothing. That to me is beyond frustrating. I felt I felt that come I felt that coming off of the show, and that that just confirmed it. To the the ending just confirmed it. He, the show felt at times so disinterested in Ezra that the the final moment where he comes back with Herod that should have been a huge moment. Yeah. Reunited reunited with who is essentially his mother, and there's 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 no emotion. There's no hug. There's no shock or elation or relief. <laughs> And it's just that, hey, Hera, I'm home. And she's like, I almost shot you, dude. Also, again, bad drama. Just why are you walking out of the ship in the Stormtrooper costume? What dramatic effect do you think you're getting by doing No one buys it. Chopper doesn't even, like, it. it's bad. It, it's, it, it doesn't make sense. Also, there's two things in that scene that need to happen. You need to come out and Hera's like, you know, Hera's like, oh, my God, Ezra, you're back. I, you know, there's so much I want to tell you. You're okay. Thank God. And he's like, it is bad, dude. It is bad. Thrawn is yeah, back. He's, back. Got zom- shit. he's got zombie witches. And it's not this muted, but, but Dave is bored yeah. with the whole thing. And he feels like he has to do it because the only reason he brought Ezra, Ezra back is so he can knock off a major chess piece at the opening of that movie. Because someone has to die for the stakes to be real. And we know who it's not going to be. So that that's why, I mean, to me, I can see it all coming Do you think Ezra's going to die? Yeah, because he has to kill somebody. Because Ezra's not present in the sequel trilogy. Ezra complicates Luke's entire story, which is why he's in the far galaxy to begin with. And now you bring him back to explain and justify all of this. You got you got to kill him. It also gives you know Thrawn some, you know, some so weight. Like, that's crazy. That's the, I that I it makes sense that you say that. It's so fucking lazy. I hate that. Like you could have <laughs> left him in the you could have left him in the fucking far galaxy and brought him back after the sequel trilogy. Exactly. You know, like it's so fucking lazy. And I don't want to go in on Sabine like. I do want to go on on Sabine because this is like, he's clearly interested in telling the story of Sabine. I'm sorry. 
on what merit is Sabine an interesting character? He hasn't written anything about her to make her interesting to me. And I want there to be visible, interesting female characters. I want them to, to write. Ahsoka is an interesting character. Spent a lot of time making Ahsoka interesting. See, I, I find so, uh, Sabine, Sabine can, can interesting. I just say, Sabine sacrifices. Uh, sorry. Sabine makes Ezra's sacrifice at the end of Rebels meaningless, moot, by going to the far galaxy with Thrawn, right? Yeah. This is a person who sacrificed himself for everyone else to save them, right? But to, to get Thrawn out of this galaxy, take him somewhere else. She says, I'm lonely. That's fine. She's a human character I, or whatever she is. She's a Mandalorian character. She's lonely. People make mistakes because they love people because they feel alone. She goes to that far galaxy. So she makes, in doing so, she makes Ezra's sacrifice meaningless. Okay, that's fine. There has to be some discussion between the two of them. She has to apologize. It has to have, there has to be some reason for this, like, terrible betrayal. That has to play out on screen. They have to have that. She just says it's complicated. Bullshit. That's lazy. Uh, it's, that's lazy. Awful writing. it's bad drama there's they never have any there's no fallout he punts on the whole ezra sabine thing like he does with everything involved with ezra there's no fallout there's no consequence from what she had done i would have been okay with the rest of it if she had said you know i this is what i did and ezra was like what the fuck did you do that for dude why did you do that how do you know like there was no there was no consequence to any of it at all and he avoided it like he avoided almost everything in episode seven. And it was it was like what, like you know, um, but it so was just, just to finish that she doesn't yep. even really care that at the end of the episode, she's lost Ezra again. Yeah, <laughs> but, but like she'd done all of this. And I, sorry, it's it's a little bit too. We're doing the work for the show when we say, well, you know, like she's grown as a person. She's accepted herself. She feels more comfortable in herself. She's made some progress. But nothing in the her. show says that. Nothing. They, we have to believe that. Like, it's a very quick thing where, like, basically, like, Ahsoka's like, I, I you know, by the way, my, like, Anakin always supported me. And so I'm going to always support you. From, I got your back, dog. Like, from now on, that fixes everything between us. We're cool now, right? Yeah, we're, no, we're, it, we're totally cool. And then now I can use the Force uh, for, for Sabine, the, right? This this, I think, is the major pain point in the show, which is that that Dave is writing in two different modes, and in one he is ex excels at, which is the mythic. And on the mythic level, all of these characters function almost perfectly. They're fantastic. And the things that they represent, the things that they embody, he's also leveraging enormous amounts of lore, which if you do know it, that does function. There's the dramatic mode in which he falls down flat in the last couple episodes and i know for some people felt that, that the entire show it wasn't until seven and eight where that really became a problem with me and that that involves show don't tell that means in, it, leveraging all your dramatic stakes which he doesn't do and all the things we've just been talking about with all the characters we've just been talking about and you cannot rely on this mythic elemental dimension to get to things like how i understand that ahsoka has changed and we've seen her progress, and that's leveraging things which would go back 15 years. 
I understand Sabina's change because her arc has progressed from a certain point, and I, I can see in some of the choices that Natasha Leo Berdizo does that I, I see that she's shifted. But like you said, the show doesn't tell us that. The, the stamp that Ahsoka puts on it is that it's time to move on, which is a significant statement at the end of that show because it's functioning on a couple different levels. And that, that it's, a, it's a meta reference to the entire franchise. It's for them personally, Ahsoka and Sabine, they're moving on from their respective traumas. Um, the problem is, is that it, Dave waited until episode eight to give us any foregrounding on Sabine's trauma, which was the loss of her family on Mandalore, which we understood, we kind of inferred because of context mm-hmm. clues from other things. But not only did we see it, and not only did Natasha Leo Bardizo not embody that in any of her choices in the first episode, seven episodes, because she didn't know it. Mm-hmm. She also, that scene takes place between Ezra and Hu Yang. Mm-hmm. It doesn't right. take place between Ahsoka and Sabine. The dramatic scene that needs to happen is, is Ahsoka's like, you know, she comes out on the ship and, and Sabine is like, hey, I fucked up. I like, I, you know, I feel bad and everything. And Ahsoka's like, you know, it's okay. We make mistakes. I've learned a lot. And, and Sabine's like, you've learned. Like, I, you know, I'm trying to learn. Like, it's okay for you to learn, but you didn't want to train me. You don't. And then uh, now here it comes. I didn't want to train you because, you know, you're, you got all this trauma. She's like, what are you talking about? Your master was a kid killer. Like, you know, like, what the fuck? Like, here it all comes out. That never happens. And it needed to happen. You, if you're, if you're, it's, it's, it's frustrating because you can do both. You can do both. And, and I'm a huge Dave Filoni fan. Um, and I I think what he, I think what he did in this show was, was mostly excellent. But this stuff, super frustrating. Yeah, one thing I was going to say earlier about Sabine, um, Darby and I have talked about this on another podcast, but Sabine is, to me, only interesting as a lens through Grogu. Because Grogu is like the Force incarnate, but choosing to be a Mandalorian. Sabine is Mandalore, but choosing to be Jedi. Like, those two are the mirror characters. That, is to me, makes Sabine interesting. But none of that is in the show. None of that is anywhere except, as far as I know, our podcast. It's, it's, it's contextual. We're pulling it out of the air. It's clear that their arcs are going in different directions. It's clear given their shared history you're like Grogu and Sabine don't have a shared history. They do. It involves the dark saber and it involves ultimately who's going to be running Mandalore when they all get back to the, to, in the heir to the empire movie. Um, all of that kind of collectively kind of comes together, but there's nothing in any of those scenes that foregrounded. And if one of the reasons Dave struggled to get some of this in the show, cause there's just so much lore, like how do you convey Sabine's very complicated backstory and also the interim like those are all challenging shit, like as a writer. But you can do it. You can do it. And one way to do it is show don't tell. The great thing he has he has a two hundred million dollar budget. He had eight episodes. Just show it. Show it. Just uh, Sabine's family getting killed. I mean, Sabine's they did just like the sitting there with Ahsoka on the Clone Wars. They did all that. Just just show us Sabine's trauma, and then she's sitting there with that cat on the thaw. She's looking at holograms of Ezra, and she's lost. It's literally thirty seconds. That's all it is. You don't have to. You don't even have to be any dialogue. She's sitting there, and then Ahsoka shows up, and she's like, "And Sabine's mad." You're like, "Why is Sabine mad at Ahsoka?" Like, you ditched me. 
And you're like, what? And then all you have to do in that one scene with Hera and Ahsoka in episode one, or maybe it's two, is say Ahsoka's like, that, you know, Sabine is, Sabine is too dark. I can't do it. And Hera's like, what? It's like, explain shit to me. And she's like, no, nah, no, nah, I've been down the show before. Like, you know, it's like, nah, I'm going to, you know. And then you get into Ahsoka's shit, which is that she's closed off from everybody. You know, it feels like a little bit of Monday morning quarterbacking, but the but the thing is, is that the the it, it this is important. I think it's important to make sort of these sort of um, comments because this is a problem that's going to continue. It's going to continue into the heir to the empire movie, which whatever shape it takes is going to require a much more broader and general audience to t to know things that it is not going to explain. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, you know, I, listen, I hope, I don't think Kathleen Kennedy is listening to this podcast. If she is, hey. That's sometimes she is. Kevin does, too. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think, like, we're all Dave Filoni fans on this podcast, right? I mm -hmm. think that he probably needs someone moving forward to help him with dialogue. And someone mm -hmm. who needs to help him, like, to write scenes in which characters talk to each other about their problems. And, and you know, like <laughs> there were a lot of times while I was watching this show where I just kept thinking to myself, these characters need to just talk, you know, like I get that Ahsoka's thing is like, I cross my arms and I just sort of like say very little to try to say a lot. <laughs> it's a shtick. It's like a character thing, but all the characters are like that. They're all kind of like, just not saying like leaving a lot of things left unsaid. And at some point when you just le keep leaving things left unsaid, nothing gets said and this like character development doesn't happen. And what he needs is a writer's room. Yeah. He there, needs, there needs three or four other there. people. Yeah. yeah. And that yeah, I I moving forward I think that needs to happen. So I hope Kathleen, if you're listening, you know, or someone who can get the note there, hire a few extra writers, you know, strikes over. Uh some people who are really good at doing dialogue try it out maybe because you got to fucking like and and find someone who's interested in Ezra you know like <laughs> find someone who's fucking interested if, if Dave's not interested that's fine you don't always have to be interested in every character you write about um do that and then also find someone who's willing to call Dave out for some bullshit with Sabine because you know like okay I have a I have a problem with her being a force user I don't think it was necessary. I love the idea of democratizing the force. I was a big fan of it in, in Return of the, uh, or sorry, the, the Last Jedi. I don't think that that means now that every single character needs to have the force. Well, I, that, I, yeah. we I can think agree to Sabine, disagree about that, but. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think Sabine's arc and in, in coming into the force as a layman, for lack of a better word, I, I think was necessary. Didn't have to be her. But this is an aspect of, of Star Wars which has been missing for a while. And we got really, in for a long time, we got really into legacies and divine right and midichlorians and all this other stuff. And it got really far away from George's key principle, which is that the Force exists in everyone inherently and anyone can use it. And so Sabine's being able to, to grow into it, to access it, I think is very rewarding. I think it's very necessary for the franchise. 
You can argue whether or not she's the right vehicle for it. I think it mostly worked. I think the show stepped on itself at the end. Her big dramatic moment using the force was the force jump. It wasn't the lightsaber thing. I think I would have done without the lightsaber. I would have just had Ezra do a trust jump. And he's like, I'm going to die if I jump. She's like, no, I got it. And he's like, uh, okay, I got we got to do it anyway because... Thrawn and then she does it and it's you know and then she has this great moment of like holy shit I'm doing it. it it sort of steps on itself I like it I like Sabine I think Sabine's an interesting character she she's someone who she's always fighting herself in ways that are that are really interesting I think this particular show struggled to to you know with some of the dramatic decisions it made and not foregrounding enough of what happened in the interim and things like that made some decisions, but I think she's fun. I, I think she's interesting. I think she has a really interesting future. I think her, the idea of her and Ahsoka as master and apprentice is really interesting. I wish, I, I, I think going into seven and eight, I had this idea that the, their future was gonna be super unlimited. I think it's very clear that they're coming back to the regular Star Wars galaxy. Um, and that their stay on Peridia is going to be limited to some extent. If I thought that they were just going to be there and we were just going to open up this new chapter of lore, then I would be much more excited and much more elated by the possibilities in that, but I know they're coming back. But I, I, I enjoy her. And Natasha Leo Berdizo, I thought, did a really good job in, in bringing her to life. She's a lot of fun. She's a, she's a little bit of a snark. Uh, to her I just think she's more interesting than Ezra I think Dave thinks she's more interesting Ezra which is basically it you know is what it's felt like for a while for me anyway and yeah I don't know I I I the one I was about to say something about sort of like the sort of proliferation of Jedi but I I think you know I've heard some people say that you know the, the the presence of so many Jedi characters in this time frame diminishes the importance of Luke I don't know. I have two minds about that. I one of the it, it, I don't think it diminishes Luke for there to be other Force users. George's like I said, George's principle is that the Force exists in everybody. Does it dilute the main story, which is what Yoda tells Luke at the in, in uh, Return of the Jedi, which is when I'm dead, that you know you'll be the last Jedi. Um, maybe it does, but you know. And it also paints us into another corner, which is that, you know, Kylo Ren goes bad and destroys Luke's temple and all those Jedi are dead, which means that we have to account for all of these characters now again. Not only did we have to do it before in the interim between Rebels and the original trilogy, now we got to do it again between this this period and the sequel trilogy. We know that Dave's not going to kill Ahsoka, so um, Ezra is a goner. Uh, he's not going to kill Grogu, because Grogu makes too much money. So... Um, I don't know. It, it's, it's sort of like, I feel like um, Balin went to uh, the Far Galaxy to destroy cycles, and I, and I feel like we're just going to repeat them ad, ad infinitum. Well, I don't even know how they're going to get to... I'm not interested, actually, but <laughs> I just don't give a fuck about the First Order. But, like, I don't know how you're going to get from Thrawn to the First Order. Right? Like, he's not... There's no hint of Thrawn in the sequel trilogy. So I don't know how that happens. My, like, how my assumption this- is, I just I assume I could be wrong. I, I think that the 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 witches and the zombies have something to do with Palpatine and and some aspect of it. But you're right. I don't care either. I don't, I've never cared. I don't like. Everybody's like so excited. Like, oh, this is setting up the sequel trilogy. I personally don't care. I don't need to see it. 
I, I'm perfectly content with watching them fight Thrawn. I, that's fine. I like Thrawn. I don't care about how, setting up the sequels or having to fit into these, you know, make all these puzzle pieces fit. It's okay if some things don't fit. I don't know. I, you know, I was really excited for the whole show. I, I've been excited. I am still to some extent by the, by the new possibilities. But I left a little bit cold by the fact that we did go to the far galaxy and it was interesting and it was different and, and it was very Star Warsy at times. But Dave didn't really find anything new there in Ezra and Thrawn that just completely upended everything. He just simply brought them back and he brought the most interesting thing about Perdia, which is the witches and the zombies. He brought that back to the regular Star Wars galaxy. So by leaving Sabine and Ahsoka there, well, what's what is going to be different next time? It, there's nothing going to be different because we we don't we don't know anything. And and Sabine and Ahsoka are going to get home through the world between worlds, which probably means that they're going to come out years later. You know, they maybe they'll come out the sequel trilogy after that. I don't know, but it's just it's like it feels like to me like we've seen this already, and that it, you know, this. The, the possibility and all the excitement that there had been in it, I think, is a little bit diminished. A little, you know. Yeah. Uh, Sidney, what do you think? Last episode, Shad, you had made up a uh, you had made a point that I that had been kind of sitting with me, and as I was watching episode seven and eight, which is that that the mysticism of it and how you didn't want to know the answers of some aspects of the lore. And that reminded me that one of the things I really liked about the original trilogy was that the force was never explained. It just was. It just was a thing. It it existed. All we knew about it is that it's in every living thing and it connects people. Well, it connects life. That's all we know. That's all we needed to know. Then the prequel trilogy happened and they tried to make a science out of it. Midichlorians and they tried to establish rules and all that. And it became less mystic and less mystifying. And to be honest, it was less in interesting to me once they added all those rules and, and everything. It, the Force was no longer this thing that wasn't known but was used. Now there's like an entire industry around it. Hmm. And I've all, all I've long complained about the timeline of the star Wars world, how within one generation, the force becomes this ancient superstition. Like the, the, the whole timeline doesn't work for me anyway. And the the other thing that I was thinking is that star Wars, especially, especially recently, I would say has made a habit of playing it safe. The sequel trilogy has played it safe um, in that it was telling the same story as the original trilogy. I think Ahsoka is doing the same thing that it brought up some interesting ideas. It could have gone somewhere, but in the end ended up playing it safe. And, you know, like one thing that Darb was mentioning is about Ezra's arc. See, I didn't know anything about Ezra. So for him to see Hera and then for Darb to say, wait, that was like his mother, that really changes that that viewing of that scene where they 
uh, met up with each other. That felt so cold and heartless and devoid of soul. Because if they were just like a band of misfits in the past that just kind of got together but then didn't and then 10 years later he's back, okay, fine. But if you're saying like the mother of the bunch, a much closer Hera, relationship, that's... Hera, Hera was mama bear to the entire crew. Yeah. And she is was as hurt as Sabine was when they lost Ezra. And none of that gets unpacked in the show. And again, the drama is just completely all every aspect of the drama is lost. The Ezra gets onto home one by flying in that shuttle, which is under escort by a couple A wings. Those A wings didn't blow him out of the sky because he had to have identified himself. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How is, the fuck does he get yeah. on the ship without Hera knowing who's on board? Right. right. Like that would have been come, telegraphed come a long. Come on. I mean, you could have said get... like they could have literally had a very small scene where I mean they, they were running out of time, but you could have had a small scene where like he'd used like let's say he'd hailed with a code that went all the way back to the rebellion days, and she like, wait I know that code. They were they were like oh you know. Commander Sindula, like, there's this code. I've never seen this code. It's not a new, not a new Republic code. No, I recognize that code from the Rebellion. Let them in. She thinks, oh, it can't be. Is it? You like, just could have had that scene. I mean, something like it, that. In could my have been, opinion, like, you don't even need created... that suspense of like a code. It could just be one of the A wings saying, "Hey, Hera, we found Ezra. We're bringing him to the ship." Well, I mean, if you wanted to have that, to if you wanted to have that dramatic moment, I'm saying like where they 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 still have like her hoping against hope that it could be this person she's been wanting to see, right? Like that if that if that's what they wanted to preserve, like I don't know if in in Filoni's mind that scene was what he wanted to show. To me, and it, I think one of the yeah. biggest things, one of my takeaways with this show is that there is too much playing with the audience going on in the mm -hmm. show, as a whole, like they're getting in the way of telling the story because they want to play with the audience and they want to play with the audience expectations. Yeah. I, I, I see what you're saying. I think that's a little bit of the MCU part of it, isn't it? Yeah. It's where the MCU, when it, sometimes you want the MCU to be fucking with you and you enjoy it. It's fun. It's fun. You're, you're engaged. It's part of the game with the MCU. But that's um, also been the MCU from the beginning. It has. Star Wars, as we talked about on one of our, our pods, um, it's, I, it's not built that way, and it's not meant to function that way. You can do it a little bit, I think. Um, you know, a little bit of it goes a long way. I, 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 <laughs> but you have to... The, frankly, this Ezra scene, we're, we've actually spent a fair amount of time talking about this one scene, and I think it's because it is the case example for what are our, our problems with the show there's nothing in that scene that works at all and it's entirely evident of um some bad choices and some dare i say misguided thinking in terms of approach to sort of some of this stuff the most important thing in that scene is the payoff of the reunion with Hera and ezra and also the the tag which is that thrawn is back mm-hmm uh, not, not, but neither of those things happen. And, and they I don't happen say, because I would say one more thing too. 
Mm-hmm. Ezra's back. Ezra and Hera are united. That's one. Thrawn is back, number two. And Ahsoka and Sabine are gone. They're gone. What if what if Sabine and Ezra, the, in, or Sabine and Ezra, Hera and Ezra, and Hera's like, oh my God, you're back. Too. She's like, that's so great. And she looks back at the shuttle. She's waiting for Ahsoka and Sabine. She's like, so great that they brought you back. And he's like, I, I'm by myself. She's like, what? <laughs> we, we traded them for you? Yeah, it's like I was. She's like I was kind of okay with my girls, dude. Um, um, none of those things happen, and he he doesn't do those. Dave doesn't do those things in favor of the laziest, um, and most pointless thing of like who is in the stormtrooper armor. Yeah, because I mean, was any member of the audience, anybody, watching that show going, who's the night trooper? Is it Thrawn? It, I don't know. Like, was anyone really wondering? I mean, I think that it's it a, was wanting to, I mean, it was more for the emotional payoff. It was wanting to make people get emotional. Because I heard other people talk, saying, oh, I was really emotional at their meetup. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm, that's what Filoni wanted you to feel was to be emotional at the meetup. But uh, at the moment, like you, he was wanting you as the audience to empathize with, uh, Hera in that moment of like that that moment of like hope against hope like I wonder could it be Ezra like taking she she probably knows it's Ezra she has this, an inkling that it might be him but she doesn't want to admit that it's him right because she doesn't doesn't want to be disappointed if it's not him but the, that should that's be asking on, the audience the to do a lot then. it's asking well I mean it's asking the audience to do a lot and it's not I don't think it's it's uh it's not earned right like it's 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 just it's very lazy. Mm-hmm. And exactly. as as Darby said, and, and it, I mean, at the same time, like I think a lot of us, you know, I I don't know, I you know, when you talk about streaming, I think a lot of us watch episodes in this day and age. Like I try really hard not to, but I'll accidentally, you know, pause. I'll pause it to do something, or you know, I get a message, I need to look at it, so I pause, and then I look at how how much longer is left in the episode, right? And it's like, okay, wait a lot of this shit is not going to get resolved, right? Because there's only four minutes left in this episode. Fuck. You know, like, and that, that was kind of how I felt also like going back to Peridia with Sabine and Ahsoka thinking like, there's like two minutes left of this fucking episode. What, what, what am I going to, what are they possibly going to say? What's going to happen to them now? That's going to have like, all it is, is just going to be like, Oh, well, I guess we're living here on this planet. Now the two of us, it'll be all right. I see Anakin's force ghost. Um, and then, like very, like very briefly, like Shin Hati, like holding up a like her lightsaber, being like, "I guess I'm the, the I'm the leader, of y'all now." And like all you assholes, I'm in charge, and not very confidently. The look on her face is so weird, you know. Like she's not coming in it's, there strongly, being like, "I'm I'm in charge it, now. Fuck all y'all." It's her face it's is. Fear. I think yeah. uh, it looks almost like a lost person rather than like a person who's coming there to be to be the person who's in charge, right? And I think she's very, I'm very intrigued by Shin because I, I she feels abandoned by Balin. He sent her back to, to go back with Thrawn to the empire. She clearly didn't want that. She wants power, which is why she's going (laughs) to install herself as leader of these samurai guys. But I I think she is very lost that, 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 you know, we can see where her story's going. She is going to end up with Ahsoka and Sabine at some point. Um, Which is, uh, we could even go back. Sorry. 
to continue with your point, like we could go back to episode seven. That was something it's my fault for jumping around too much because I've been doing that this whole this whole recording. But like their their parting of ways in episode seven was a problem as well. Like there it was just so abrupt. Weak you can you can you could well I mean like you could tell in retrospect you could say, okay, well we started to see the fissures in episode six. You know, we mm-hmm. started to see the cracks in their relationship. But that parting of ways should have been again, this goes back to like maybe Filoni having a serious issue with dialogue. Right, like leaving a lot unsaid and leaving uh, asking us to do the work of intuiting what people are feeling and, and thing like it was just such an abrupt oh like yeah I I have to go I need to go somewhere else but you should you should leave this is where we part ways and her just being like okay you know like that it was it's just because a, this yeah. it, the scene is structured wrong dramatically the scene is is they come upon Ahsoka and Sabine and the turtles. And Shin's like, now we're going to kill them. That's their mission. We're going to kill them, right? And Balin's like, "You no, I'm not going to. And she's like, what are you doing? You literally, you gave Sabine your word you're going to let her go. And then you told Thrawn that you weren't. That's why we're out here. And now you're now you're not? Like, where are we at? And he's like, I'm going to go off. I'm going to go off into Mordor, babe. And I'm going to do the thing. You do whatever. And she's like, well, I'll go with you. He's like, no. No, you're not ready. You're you want you want to you want to kill people. You want to be a ruler. You want to do all this stuff. You got this darkness in you. Dramatic tension, fisticuffs. That none of that happened. The scene is he's like, hey, by the way, I'm dropping you off. So, oh, <laughs> oh, he's like, I'm gone now. And then we get the, the she gets a fight with that, which is a really cool fight. And then you know, and then lesbian Twitter showed up for Sabine and Shen finally. And then and then we get a really nice fight with Balin and uh, Ahsoka. And then it's just like, and then we're just going to, it was, it, it, the dramatic, it was weird. The dramatic stuff. To be honest, inability even the to find. resolution of Balin Skull Ahsoka's final fight wasn't very good. You know, he, him saying, you know, you can't beat me. Oh, I don't need to. And then the ship comes out and gives just enough a distraction. It's like, the same. It's. To Shaddy's point, it's it's a lazy, tired trope. The ship bails them out at multiple points yeah. in the entire series, and it's like that's a, it's 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 a it's a movie thing where it's like you know where like the the action star like you know you didn't see that coming. Well, anybody could have seen it coming because it happens so often. Though you know that it's fine for the ship to show up and and do that once, but but they crash the ship a couple times it feels like the ship the ship gets shot it's like all of this stuff it's like they're, they're bailout moments they're, they're rest easy moments you're sitting there typing at the you know it's fine in a first draft to be like you know oh the, you know like hey you didn't see that coming but you you can't you can't lean on that stuff i felt like he leaned on that a and little they bit repair too the much. ship really fast each time yeah, no problems no problem. so wouldn't it have been more dramatic if the ship had really if when sabine cried which Sabine being Sabine, she's like, I'm just gonna fucking ram these Tie Fighters, and so it's like, what the fuck? Like, you have guns, you have guns, like, you know, and then, but she crashes the ship. The ship is crashed. Like, they're not picking it up. Now we gotta walk, or we gotta ride the the wolves. Who the wolves are fucking cool. You know, we gotta ride the wolves, and they don't have that. And you know, going into the battle at the tower, they don't have the ship. Like, they have to get on the Star Destroyer. Mm-hmm. Now the stakes are really high. Now they're really, you know, when so when Morgan comes out with the blade. And she's like, you're not getting past me, you know, like 
but we just don't. We know because we know the audience knows. The audience is too smart for this stuff. Is you know we're getting bailed out. So there's also just a, like that. That lit, uh, I'm sorry. I'm gonna go off in a slightly different direction. Like that <laughs> fight between she and Balin is bizarre. Anyway, you know, like she's had her moment in episode five, where she goes to the world between worlds. She has her comes out as Ahsoka the White. She had just fought with Anakin, who's clearly Anakin, what? Maybe one of the, the best users of a lightsaber ever, right? She's, Anakin, held, yeah. she's held her own against Anakin. And now, if anything, after this, she's come out with this sort of new resolution, this acceptance of herself, moving on, choosing to live. Now she's training while she's going through hyperspace, using going back to using two lightsabers, understanding herself being a better fighter and then we still see her not being able to best Balin's goal right like him saying like you can't beat me no you're not on anakin's level ahsoka should dust you like that's not, not like that's yeah. just shitty writing like that's not having a consistent mindset of like you know this is like a little bit of a dragon ball z like for all y'all who used to like be really big into power levels back when dragon ball was a thing and like they'd have those big charts this might be the second time i've referenced this on this podcast for a different episode <laughs> but like having like you know like there is a part of like fandom where you're like okay wait a second you have to be consistent in terms of what these characters can do and what they cannot do Balon school is fucking awesome he doesn't have to get beat by ahsoka but it should be like where ahsoka is like i don't have to beat you but I'm not going to fuck with you. This fight's over. Like I'm moving on. That's it. But like putting them in a, like it was just a bizarre thing. Yeah. It was just, I agree. And especially I, I, I like your idea that, you know, she could, she could have beat him and, and chosen not to kill him. Um, especially cause we see her fight Morgan, who is a far superior fighter than Balin. And, you know, more Morgan is, I think probably the, mo- the most dangerous sort of combatant that Ahsoka's faced in this series just in terms of just her, her skill. But that um, blade of Tarzan is utterly wasted. <laughs> well, her transformation is utterly wasted. She gets killed yeah. within the next... Yeah. Right? Like, that, that's, such a, that's such a terrible... That should have happened. That character. transformation should have happened right at the beginning. When they got to the planet, the Great Mothers should have converted her right then and there. Yeah, if you're Thrawn, this goes back to the Thrawn problem. If you're Thrawn and you're, you're going to spend your money anyway, spend it right away. Uh, Morgan, I'm gonna, we're going to level you up. Thanks. You, I mean, you're welcome. And then well, I'm going to send you out there, and you're going to kill those uh, those Ahsoka and Sabine, right? And she's like, yeah, I will do that for you. And he's like, cool. And then she, you know, she goes off there, and she, you know, the, you've used your biggest pawn maybe in doing that, you know. And then you're like, and then of course it doesn't happen. But here, herein lies the problem. It's like, you know, you got Balin and Shen and you got to keep that going. You got to keep, you know, you got a little mystery that you're really into that you don't pay off. You got Morgan, who is literally just standing around for eight episodes and she's your facilitator. And then you, when you finally unleash her, you're like, oh, my God, you know, and like, you know, it's there's a there's a lot of problems, I think, in the show. Overall, the show, I, I found it very entertaining. But this was a show that was probably six episodes long could have been tightened up needed to be ratcheted up in a lot of places and use your, use your assets if you got diana lee and asano you're gonna you're only gonna use her in one of those fights as cool as it was all of that's in thrawn like everything we talked about thrawn i think the the progression of thrawn and the depiction of thrawn i should say 
and the um and you know his sort of this chess chess player we see it and we don't that's i think that's the show i think that's probably it's uh, interesting that you said it could have been six show. episodes i felt like it could have been 10 episodes because sure, i think i, I would have liked been. to have just stretched out a lot of those beats like had... i would have pancaked yeah the first three episodes i would have pancaked all that yeah, yeah i felt like the, the, the it took too long to get going and then but you could have spent a lot more time on peridia you know like yeah. we could have had like you could have done a flashback episode that was just entirely what was going on that 10 years like you know yeah. like what was going on with with uh yeah like i w- would have loved to have to known you know how that would how does thrawn find out about the witches right how does thrawn like go from a person in rebels what we know of like in the the, the non-books right who like has very little faith in the force he understands the force he thinks it's valuable but clearly thinks the people whose reliance on like witchcraft and, and, and wizardry and all that bullshit is like kind of bullshit to him, right? It's not logical. Uh, you know, as a person who thinks that Kanan and Ezra are pathetic, right? Although he ultimately gets beat by Ezra, right? So he's gained some mm-hmm. sense of... He doesn't seem, still seem, doesn't really seem to have any respect for Ezra now. He's terrified of Ahsoka, doesn't really care about Ezra. Makes sense though, because Ezra doesn't seem to have done anything for ten fucking years. So, um, I don't know. Like, but I just think you could have spent a longer time telling well, that story. Wait a minute. Based on what you said, why is he even allied with the Great Mothers in the Night Witches to begin with? The weirdness. Like, I mean, you could say like there was that moment where he's where she, so because he's such a strategic and logical person. He's like, well, there's this like he clearly found something out. Like maybe like in, maybe he went on an like art tour tour for five years of Pridia, right? He learned about about the art. He's got these giant ass statues everywhere. Maybe he went to Mordor. Um, you know, like he might have like done a little bit of like investigating himself. Figures out he needs to resurrect the witches, and because he resurrects them, they feel very indebted to him. We know Morgan. Very indebted to him, not willing to sacrifice her life for him. She she says. I think very pointedly, like for Dathomir, right? Because yeah. like, he says for the Empire and she says for Dathomir, um, which really interesting. There was a moment of like clearly like what we thought about her because up until that point, it seemed like she's been very much, you know, an acolyte of, of Thrawn's. Like the the, 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 the the witches seem to to be very much enthralled to Thrawn, right? They're, they're clearly in service to him. Although we maybe we'll get in the next series, like they're also like for Dathomir as well. I mean, they're using Thrawn. Oh, that's that's super clear. When he gives the order to destroy the tower, the one witch gives them this stare. She's like, "Really?" So they weren't happy about that. They're absolutely gonna once they got their good out of him, they're gonna get rid of him. So, but that was just a again. These were all kind of yeah, great. I, so that means that's Thrawn's undoing by the end of um, the the movie. Almost well, he could certainly. just have more enemies, right? Like, there's just another side to it, more complicated, right? If if folks remember in *Heir to the Empire*, uh, Thrawn is un is killed by Rook, who is his servant, who and he is he's undone because he never anticipates that Rook could ever betray him. I feel like Rook is not a uh, Rook was in Rebels, but he died. Uh, he so he's not a player in the the, the stories coming up. <laughs> I imagine the uh, witches will. I thought Morgan might, uh, but um, the witches will serve, or Captain Enoch perhaps, 
will serve the same function, which is that, you know, he's going to be blindsided by this thing he couldn't have anticipated. The witches clearly wanted to get him and their cargo back to Dathomir. Uh, the, I was uncertain what the cargo could be. Clearly, Night Sisters. Uh, they're going to resurrect the Night Sisters, and uh, we're going to get a zombie witch army. Which cool, you know that it's cool. It's different. Uh, Thrawn, uh, Thrawn's going to regret uh, making this bargain. But just to sum up, I know we're way over. Um, just to sum well, just up, just one small uh, kind thing. Of, but one one small yeah. thing. The zombies themselves. That was really we we you you mentioned it. That was really cool. But really I had cool. this thinking of my like. These zombies are incredibly strong. But they're really hard to kill. Like you introduce an army of these zombies, like how are they not upending the universe, right? Like Jedi, it, fully trained Jedi have a hell of a time killing them. They just keep coming, right? Which goes back to my original point at the beginning, which is that it will necessitate Luke and Leah uh, c coming into the story. Uh, so let's recast them. Let's just do it. Take the Band-Aid off. Um because uh, we're going to need to have them both uh, using the Force and a young Ben Solo, I imagine, as well. So, um, yeah, I, I I am excited by the future. I, you know, I, I look forward to what's next. There seems to be, uh, the assumption was we're going to go directly into the movie. There seems to be some uh, talk of the fact that there will be a season two of Ahsoka. The strikes have really interrupted things, and there's some... There's a lot of shifting parts, but it could we could get a second season before the movie. We'll see. Um, we'll know more probably here as soon as the actors have resolved their strike. But I I really enjoyed the show. I just want my maybe my final thought. I just want to say I, I really enjoyed the show. I found the ending very uh, aside from the things that frustrated me as we've talked about. I found the ending very good, and I, I really like that. And I, I really like the sentiment at the end of this you know choosing to move on and ahsoka being able to leave the past behind and leave anakin although anakin hasn't left her and, and never will um i i really like that kevin kiner uh the music is just extraordinary that the 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 uh the music in this episode uh, again he's just done incredible things he referenced the dance macabre uh in the scene with the zombies uh, he got some really odd discordant piano in at the end during the epilogue and then this resounding crescendo of the Ahsoka theme at the end. Mm. All of it's all of it's just very good. Very good. I, I, I enjoyed it. You know, some of it was frustrating. I know some of it was out of everybody's hands as far as Ray Stevenson and everything, but you know, I, that's that's just kind of where I am I, and I appreciate it I appreciate it having a, every Tuesday night having a little bit of a escape uh, recently so yeah I'll say like I, I am with you honestly I you know, maybe in, in different places we have different somewhat differing feelings in particulars but like I enjoyed the series a lot I really did um, I think probably that's perhaps why I felt so strongly about episode 7 and 8 mm -hmm. because oh, sure. of how much I enjoyed the series and Still enjoyed it overall, and I'm I'm going to watch everything that comes after this because I'm excited to find out what happens. I just think I really would have loved it a lot more if the the landing had been stuck a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And you know, and I and I think I would would have loved it. You know, this is one of those things like when you feel very strongly about characters, you want the writers of something. This is I just feels like Orson Scott Card with Peter 
all over again for me like you know you you have affections for a character that the author clearly doesn't care about or doesn't feel the same way and that hurts a little bit so maybe i'm a little bit stung by that as well um sure but uh yeah i think it was overall it was a great series and and it really was great actually but just i really hope that there's some reflection maybe maybe because there's been a lot of i think a lot of criticism at the end of the series maybe there's and maybe this is giving i would hope would give uh you know if I don't know how insular Dave Filoni is. Maybe he doesn't listen to the outside noise. Um, I don't want to oh, go I, full. I think... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I, I think he does listen. I, he, he's, he's clearly a guy who's got ideas and plans and things he's going to do. Uh, that's extremely clear looking at, you know, how, he's playing a very long game with some of these characters and some of this plot stuff. But he does seem to listen, and I, I think he is very plugged into George's vision and the, and the heart of Star Wars. I don't have any concerns about that whatsoever. But I, I, I think, I hope he does, like you said, I hope he does take some feedback on the drum, the dramatic side of it because the, we need to kind of shore that up <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yes. Sugu, do you want to have any like last thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, I... I enjoyed what I watched. I'm very far behind in terms of the deep lore, but the show didn't get me interested in finding out about that deep lore, but I'm okay with it. Like I enjoyed what I watched, but it it ended flat. Uh, Like I said earlier, the courtroom scene, our discussion about it, I thought was Mm -hmm. a perfect indicator for, for how I watched the whole show. It's really interesting, and then in the end, it just didn't pay off what I was hoping. But you know, I enjoyed it. It was fine. It was in many ways, it was a really good return to form for Star Wars. It felt like Star Wars again, and that was not something that I felt in a long time in terms of the other stuff. So that part was really good, and I'll reiterate again: the costumes were incredible. Yeah. Well, thanks for the discussion, you guys. It was fantastic. I really yeah, thank, it. thank you. Shady, yeah, thanks for coming, coming on, on for two episodes. Yeah, and I, I hope all the listeners enjoyed the discussion <laughs> as well. Uh, yeah. Looking forward to the next one. I am. Uh, we could start on Loki, too, I suppose. So I haven't got around to watching that one. Um, maybe good. a little bit, little, little bit of a Star Wars break, maybe. Yeah, might be good. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know what when you said. Uh, what is it? Bone Bone Patrol was it? Bone Skeleton uh, Skeleton skele- crew. Skeleton crew. My understanding is January is January. the time frame. Okay. Yeah, I, I that that probably seems like a good timeline. January. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for coming on, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on again soon. Yes, I hope so too. That'll do it for today, folks. Thanks again for joining us. Once again, I'm Darby Harn, and you can find more information about me and my books at my website, darbyharn.com. I'm also on Twitter at Darby Harn. Sugu, how can they find out more about us in the podcast? You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can reach us at our email address, shelfwarmers at gmail.com. Send us feedback about the show, your thoughts, opinions, recommendations, and insights on our perspectives. We're always happy to hear from you, our audience, and we'd love to share your opinions on our next show. Again, that's shelfwarmers at gmail.com. 
And if email isn't your thing, we're also on Twitter. You can reach us at Shelf Warmers. Give us a holler. We have new episodes every Friday. As always, remember to stay safe, wash your hands, practice social distancing, and get vaccinated when you can. Stick around to listen to a free clip of more content from us. Subscribe today and you can hear the rest of the following and more. Bye-bye. <laughs>